Welcome to the Surrendering to Healing podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Seifkin, and today I have a very special guest with me. Remember in my introduction, I spoke briefly about being a firewife for the last 15 years? Well, today, help me welcome my one and only, my sweet husband, Jared Seifkin. Jared has been in the fire service for over 25 years and a career firefighter for 19 years. Today, we are going to talk about mental health in the fire service. So welcome, Jared. Thank Thank you you so very much for being here to record the very first full episode for Surrendering to Healing. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Thank you for having me. So, like you said, um, 25, actually uh, about 26 years in the fire service, uh, I kind of fell into it by accident. Uh, The first seven years I spent in the fire service was with a volunteer service. Um, I kind of got talked into it. Uh, by a neighbor. Um, and I was at a point in life where I was really looking for purpose and getting into a, a volunteer fire department. I, I felt like I had purpose and, and I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it so much that I thought, why do I not make this a career? Uh, and in 2005, I landed my first career job. So uh, the first seven years as a volunteer fire department, fighter and uh, the last 19 years, um, I've been a career firefighter. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Is it okay with you? We'll just kind of jump right into some of the questions. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Perfect. Thank you. So Jared, there are many people unfamiliar with the ins and outs of the fire service. For most people, they call 911 and the fire department shows up. Would you briefly explain the generalized hiring process and the first probationary year in the fire service? Uh, yeah, so the hiring process, it, it varies based on departments. Uh, your, a lot of times your big city departments, before you even get into a house, you are, uh, you're going through uh, an academy. Uh, in that academy, there's um, physical, uh, like physical agility, um, different skills that you have to learn to get you ready for the job. Um, other departments, for example, like the one that I'm in, uh, there's a testing process which consists of a written exam, a physical agility exam, and then an oral interview. Uh, the written exam is um, basically mechanical aptitude and critical thinking. Uh, the physical agility exam, it's uh, a timed exam, <clears throat> and that, that varies based on departments. Uh, back in the day, they used to call that the Phoenix exam based on what Phoenix, Arizona used for their um, entrance exam for physical agility. Departments are now uh, having their own spin off of that. Uh, but either way, it's a timed um, agility exam that you have to pass. And then the oral interview. Uh, and then a lot of times uh, a civil service will take all those scores and combine them together to make an overall uh, ranking for the candidates. That sounds like a, a big process. It is. It is a big process. Uh, it can be a several day process between the, the written exam, the jelly exam, and the interview process. So when a lucky candidate gets picked and they get hired, um, some departments call them a recruit, a cadet, and the, the department that I'm in, um, the first year is a probationary period. And that probationary period is spent uh, learning the ins and outs of the department. 
the new person. Uh, they're the ones that are first up in the morning to make coffee and clean the dish, you know, empty the dishwasher, things like that. They're the last one to go to bed at night to make sure all the doors are locked. Um, the first year is uh, very taxing. And my department, um, it means you're going to paramedic school. You're not already a paramedic. And you're going through a seven-week academy. So it's, it's a lot in the first year. The first year is very, very stressful and very taxing on uh, a firefighter's mental health. Okay, so that actually leads me right into question number two. Okay, so you had just mentioned that your department runs EMS calls as well, correct? That you guys have paramedics on site. That's correct. Okay, so can you describe some of the mental tolls a firefighter and paramedic might experience within their first year? Well, so the first year is uh, if, if you're not a paramedic, the, the department sends you to school for that. Uh, the paramedic program is a very intensive year program, uh, at least with the community college that provides our paramedic program. That That's not just schooling, but you have to do clinicals and ride time. So besides your 24-hour shift, it's plausible that on your days off, you're in class or you're doing clinicals or you're doing ride time that's very taxing on the new firefighter, especially if that firefighter has a family. And that is just that much more that takes away from, from the family life. Additionally, if, if you're a new firefighter in probation, you've had a long night at work, guess what? You're in school the next day, you're doing clinicals the next day, you're doing ride time the next day, whatever that may be. Uh, add to that, uh, in my department, you have to be firefighter one, firefighter two by the end of your first year. So now, not only are you doing paramedic school, but you're studying for firefighter one, firefighter two. Could you, could you briefly just kind of talk about what that, how that is different than going to school to be a medic? So... Being a medic is the, that's the EMS side. Firefighter one and firefighter two. These are uh, these are fire ground skills. These are the the, the tools that you're given um, metaphorically to be able to function on the fire ground. So is this in a classroom setting? It it is in a classroom setting. So. Like I said, every department varies a little bit. In my department, um, you're given the, the Firefighter One curriculum within your first two weeks. It is a classroom setting. It is a lot to absorb in the first week, which adds to that, that mental load of, of learning um, all this curriculum within, within a week. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like the difference though would be that going to school to be a paramedic, you go to a college, you have a whole curriculum um, at a college, you get, 
you get a certificate or degree in this particular field, but firefighter one, firefighter two is uh, shorter. Is that correct? Like it's a shorter class, you get maybe certified a little bit faster? Uh, yes. And again, that varies based on the department. Um, in my department, the, uh, the curriculum is very, very fast paced. I'm um, not sure how other departments do it. Um, a lot of your big city departments, that curriculum is part of the academy. So before you go through all the other processes, you go through academy. Okay. okay. We, we actually uh, hire a person and then they go to an academy. Okay. All right. So, you know. It does we'll, sound very stressful. It is. It, it, it's quite a quite stressful. You know, and talking about the academy, if you're within your first year and, and you've gone through paramedic school and you go to the academy, or sometimes you go to the academy and then you go to paramedic school, it just it just varies on when paramedic school starts, when you're hired, when the academy is available. So it kind of varies. That's seven weeks uh, on a campus, the, the academy, that you're away from your family. Okay, so additional mental toll on, on that. If you have a family, I mean, everybody has a family, but whether or not you're maybe married with children versus single right out of college, mm -hmm. you know, what, whatever that context is, uh, just being away from your family, that alone can be very mentally taxing. It is. It, during, it, during that seven weeks, do you get to come home at all? Or is that you're there for seven weeks and there's no, there is no going home? So candidates get to come home on the weekend. Um, it's a matter of they get out of class on Friday afternoon. For us, it's a three-hour drive home. Uh, so say you get out of class at four o'clock, get a three-hour drive home. And then another three hour drive back on Sunday to be there Sunday night and be in class on Monday morning. Gotcha. So there's, there's quite a bit that goes into that. There is, there is. And, and I have, I have a great respect for all the recruits that go through the academy. So is there any mental health information that you wish you had been aware of before ever entering the fire service? Yeah. When when I entered the fire service, uh it was it was kind of the old guard, the old salts that didn't believe in mental health, uh didn't believe in sharing your feelings. Um it was pretty much rub some dirt in it, shake it off, you'll be fine. Um, I remember my, my first career job, I, I've worked for two career departments now, uh, going through the probationary period. That's very, very tough, very tough time. Didn't have any mental health resources. The, the department didn't provide them. Uh, and I was young and, and uneducated and didn't know to search out those, those resources. 
Um, if you could think of anything today, as you think about, um, let's say somebody new wanting to enter the fire service, if you could think of anything that would be helpful for them to be aware of, what would be something that, that you would say, hey, you need to know this? So what I would want somebody to know, a new person coming into to the fire service and, and facing the probationary period and facing all the stressors is we're in a day and age today that you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. When, when I got into the fire service, I kind of felt alone. I felt a little bit um like the outcast and i wouldn't necessarily say there was a hazing but you definitely had to earn your place very very difficult um the old guard was very tough on the new guy has that changed through the years oh most definitely but yeah that, that that's changed quite a bit um the old guard is now retired off and, and there's new blood that's in leadership now that understand uh, what, what the new guy is going to go through. The biggest thing is just having peer support, having, having um, somebody that that new person can turn to and say, Hey, look, I'm having a really rough time. I don't feel like I'm doing anything right. And that person can come to you in confidentiality and and just get a little relief. And somebody to tell that person, you know what, you're not alone. We have we have all gone through this. We all get through it. What do you need? How can I help? How how can I make this process a little bit? Um, the new firefighters have a little bit more support today than, than what they used to be. So, yeah. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear. Do you have a, a peer support team in your department? Yes. Yes. On, on, on paper, there's a peer support team. Okay. Okay. Um, I know like there's a lot of, we'll just say organizations or companies that it might not be formal, but people gather together and they talk amongst each other. Um, so I wonder if it's something even just similar with you guys. I know you're there at, the, at your at your department, you're uh, a 24 on 48 off. Um, so it, even if it's not a formal peer support, do you feel like in general there's some peer support? I I think so. There there's always those people that step up to help out the new person. What, uh, what about the old people though? What about people that have been there for you know you you've been a firefighter for nineteen years? Um, what about the people who've been there for a while? Well, 
the uh, yeah, the old salts sometimes get a little bit uh, neglected. Um, I, I think the fire service they they take for granted the the old veterans like oh you you've been through this you've done this um, you're you're okay okay so that that kind of makes me think of like a callus right like you put on a brand new pair of shoes and and you get a callus from them and once you get that callus it's like you can wear those shoes over and over and over again and it doesn't affect you anymore. Right. It, that's kind of what it sounds like you're describing. Like, oh, you've been through this. You've done this. So you're calloused and you're fine. You'll mm -hmm. be OK. Yeah. But is that the reality? Um, unfortunately, yes. But I mean, is that the reality? Are, are you OK? Is the reality that you're oh, fine well, or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. You're, you're not fine. You're you, at that point, you're 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 callous to to emotion. Yeah but not really to the calls and not to the work that you do. Oh, well, you become callous to all of it. Okay. So now it sounds like you're talking more about like that, um, maybe that exposure to that complex trauma or the repetitive exposure to trauma, the, um, which possibly could turn into some compassion fatigue. Definitely, yeah. There's, there's, uh, there is compassion fatigue. I, I've experienced it firsthand. Uh, would Would you be willing to share a little bit about your personal struggles? Oh, most most definitely. I uh, about eight years ago, I had a string of of rough calls, um, and it, and it wasn't just like. A bad call and I didn't have any other bad calls after that it was just one after another after another it was just um, very very tough period and the problem was I didn't I didn't address the issues that came along with those calls right away um, now we have like critical incident stress debriefing. I, I didn't have any of that offered to me at the time. Um, in fact, I, I had at the time some people telling me, put it in dirt, shake it off, it'll be fine, right? Uh, but it isn't, it, it sticks with you and it doesn't go away. And then the next bad call comes around and that sticks with you and it's a snowball effect and one just exacerbates the other and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and if you don't have an outlet to process that um things start to get very very dark yeah but they do they do um so those those bad calls they start to stack up then you add to that uh sleep deprivation um the the political bs of of the job there there's there's so many components and it starts to add up and you become the salty cynical 
person who is very callous, like we talked about earlier, um, you don't feel anymore because you can't. You just, you, you want to function, you can't feel. Uh, you have to, you have to be able to push through the next call. So you stop feeling. And guess what that does? That, that starts affecting relationships and starts, um, really starts affecting, even though you're doing that, push through the next call. It's affecting you as a firefighter and a medic because you're losing compassion, even for the people that you're supposed to be serving. Um, it, it starts to be this very, very dark, lonely place. I imagine so. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've done to help cope with these? <laughs> well, I can start with telling you how I coped with it. When we talk about coping mechanisms, there's, there's healthy coping mechanisms and there's unhealthy coping mechanisms. You are 100% correct. I found all the unhealthy ones. Okay. Um, so, you know, besides becoming salty, cynical, um, just hate the world, um, you know, I started, started treating the pain with, with, uh, excessive quantities of alcohol. I started isolating. Um, I did, I did everything that you're not supposed to do to, to treat PTSD. In the time, at the time, I didn't realize that was PTSD. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. And I, I didn't really have resources. Nobody I worked with looked at me and said, dude, you've got PTSD. You're, you're, you're burned out. You, you have been on too many bad calls and you need to get help. To be fair, they can't diagnose that. They're not qualified to. Agreed. But I also, wonder did you share with them what you were going through no no you don't okay um can i can i ask a little bit about that about maybe some of that stigma of sharing mm. and why why do why do firefighters not and and i don't want to just i don't want to just pull out firefighters but let's just say emergency responders as a whole why is it difficult to share about what you're going through, the experiences you're having, and maybe some of those those symptoms that you don't want to have? So when, when I was working with some of the old guard, you didn't share your feelings. You were you were less than if you shared your feelings. Your feelings weren't validated by any any means. You you were worried about being uh, ostracized, um, being thought of as weak or or less than. So you, you just you just didn't share your feelings. You got to remember some of the old guard. 
I'm sure they had all their own stuff that they were dealing with. I'm sure they did. And and they were closed minded to to firefighter behavioral health. They were closed minded to critical incident stress debriefing, to uh, going to see a counselor. What what's that? I'm going to go see a counselor. You you must be crazy if you're going to see a counselor. Well, you're you're not crazy. You're just dealing with bad call and you're trying to process it so so can i ask have you been to therapy of course yeah. so so i am i am very open about um everything that i dealt with um i i'm very open about the dark path that that i was going down um you know as as far as suicidal ideology um, you know, excessive alcohol use, um, you know, isolation, um, anger issues. I, I had all that. I, I, I was not the person that I once was because of all this. Therapy really helped me. With that being said, I had to find the right therapist. Um, I, uh, I, I found a therapist who, who did EMDR, and, and that was kind of a turning point. I, I don't think that I would be here today had I not met that therapist. Pretty powerful. Mm, it is. Can you just briefly, in the best way that you can, I feel like I'm kind of putting you on the spot right now, but can you briefly somehow um, explain a little bit about your experience with EMDR? And and for our listeners, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, and, and that is a very specific type of uh, intervention that helps to process trauma, to reprocess uh, an incident or event or uh, a, a belief pattern, a negative belief pattern. Um, to get us kind of back into a functioning level. So um, kind of with that, could you describe your experience with that? Yeah, most definitely. So when when you go through EMDR and, and you process trauma, you have to realize that you're not going to feel like a million bucks right away. We, we have... We have taken that trauma and, and we've tried to hide it. We tried to put it in the back of our mind. We tried to squash it down into a place and, and not ever think about it again. So what EMDR essentially does is it brings that trauma back to the forefront. We, <laughs> we worked so hard to get rid of this trauma, but we didn't really get rid of it. Instead, we just we just filed away in the back and it's still back there creating issue and then you got this therapist that brings it back to the forefront and you're like well shoot i gotta deal with this all over again i do hope your therapist gave you some skills on how to deal with that i had a phenomenal therapist he he uh he did give me skills and uh, he was he he checked in quite a bit throughout the, the sessions and, and and not just one session is gonna heal you. 
because not just one trauma got you into that place, right? Correct. It's, it's multiple sessions. It's a lot of work. You have to be open-minded to do it. And, and one, one thing that I, I'm incredibly sad is there are so many leaders in the fire service that look at firefighter behavioral health or, or EMDR specifically is like voodoo that it, it's, it's misunderstood and it is not welcomed. And I am literally living proof that it works. Yeah. That it works. So. Absolutely. And, you know, there is science behind it. It isn't just somebody made it up and said, hey, you know, we're going to try this and, and see if it works. There is a, a substantial amount of science behind it. So you're right. You know, for those who don't believe or who think that it's some kind of voodoo, you know, it's really unfortunate um, that 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 ideology would even be out there. You know, I want to just tell you that I am so thankful for you sharing that um, with me and with our listeners today, because that is, it is a hard journey to go on and it's very difficult to even talk about for many people. Um, in fact, so much so that there are a lot of emergency responders that feel guilt and shame and even feel that they, um, that they're weak for seeking out therapy. Is there any advice that you would give to them or any, any thoughts that you have around those feelings um, when it comes to uh, initiating um, therapy? Yeah, so I want everybody to know that there is no, no shame in seeking therapy. It doesn't make you any less of a person. It doesn't make you any less of a firefighter, any less of a paramedic. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, it, it really makes you better because you're acknowledging the issue, you're addressing it, you're getting it treated, and it helps you to to um, effectively move forward in your job. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And could, would it be okay to say that like that would include law enforcement? Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about fire and EMS right now, but, but law enforcement, highest respect for our law enforcement. Uh, they, they see, pretty much as much as we do, they're on the majority of our scenes as well. So yes. And I, and I kind of want to say like, even for dispatchers, right? Like they take the calls, they initiate the response. And a lot of times I feel like they're left out of that close, that, that like that closure. Um, and I, you know, and I think that can be really difficult for them as well. You're, you're right. So dispatchers tend to get forgotten in that whole mix. And their job is just as, as trying as everybody else um, because they're, they're, they're actually the first ones to take the call. They hear the emotion from the caller's voice uh, and they have to remain composed to get that information to 
whatever responder is going. Um, so I, I don't think our dispatchers get enough respect. So shout out to the dispatchers. Shout out to the dispatchers. I agree. Um, so kind of thinking about therapy, is there anything specific that you would recommend for others to consider when choosing a therapist? So the thing with therapy is you have to find the right fit. Um, I, I've been through several therapists and, and not that any clinician that I saw was, was bad at what they did. I just had to find the right fit to, to deal with or to, to help me with what I was dealing with. Um, I'm pretty partial to a therapist that, that can do EMDR. Mostly because that, that was my saving grace was, was EMDR. Absolutely. I understand that. Could you, uh, have you had any therapists that have done any other techniques that have been helpful? Um, yes. Uh, Uh, so I, I had a therapist do somatic processing with me. Uh, very, very helpful. Okay. And I'll just, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to kind of explain that a little bit. Sure. So somatic processing is where you start to recognize where emotion might lie in the body. And the therapist guides you through um, a series of steps on helping you to release that emotion. It might be uh, picturing the incident, noticing where you feel it in your body, and then helping you to release that in various techniques. Um, and not all therapists are know how to do that. Not, not all therapists know how to do EMDR. Every therapist does a little bit different in what their skill level is. Um, you know, so I think kind of what you were referring to is really understanding that dependent on the need of the emergency responder, they would want to seek maybe a trauma therapist. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. Okay, and and just because somebody classifies themselves as a trauma therapist doesn't mean that they can't also help with relationship issues or maybe even some, uh, I wanna say some substance abuse issues, but I do wanna clarify that most therapists that work in like trauma therapy probably are not substance abuse counselors, that there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of trauma therapists working through trauma can help with uh, some substance misuse or some substance abuse. I would would like to add on that point. I, uh, you know, in my dark years of of excessive alcohol use to essentially... Uh, I don't know, heal the pain. Not sure what I was thinking about in the moment, but but uh, trying to find some sort of solace. And, and a therapist told me once, she said, I think if we get to the root problem and, fought and, and fix that, it will fix the excessive alcohol use. I can't, I can't say that it's the case for everybody. If, if you're chemically dependent, that's probably not going to be the case. But if you're excessively drinking to, to heal, if you heal the root problem, 
maybe I'm not a therapist here, but maybe, maybe that will. Has that been helpful to you? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Has your alcohol use um, decreased? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So other than therapy, what other kinds of self-care techniques do you use? Maybe not just to manage like traumatic calls, but also daily stressors of life and, and the job. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I picked up the cello in 2019, 2020. I, I started actually, yeah, it was in, in January, 2020. So at the time, you know, aside from being a career firefighter and dealing with the stressors of being a firefighter paramedic, uh, I was working on my bachelor's in fire protection services. I was, I was, consumed by the fire service whether i was working or whether i was in school everything was fire service related now while while i love the fire service i needed to find something that was not fire service related for self-care um, i've always appreciated music so and i always thought the cello was kind of cool so I, uh, I started playing at the cello. So every every Tuesday I go to lessons and play the cello. I love that. I absolutely love that. I always feel like you're never too old to learn something new. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's important to, to point out that if, if you're stressed out by your your job, whatever that is, if you're a firefighter, if you're whatever your line of work is, find a hobby that is completely out of the box. You know, nothing that is anything remotely related to your job. Find that hobby and do it and, and really focus on that self-care. Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of like I said in my introduction, um, you know, take that box and, and throw that little stinker out the window because it doesn't serve a purpose for anybody or anything. So, Cello is a big part of your self-care. Are there other things that you do or that you have in your life that you feel are part of your self-care? <laughs> well, yeah. A dog. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves the canine friend, right? Uh, well, yeah. So, you know, four-year-old golden doodle sometimes didn't know this. Until I got a doodle, they are extremely, extremely uh, high energy, and they have separation anxiety. And I'm like, ugh, here I am with you know anxiety myself, and I get an animal that's got anxiety. But she, she's actually been um, really, really good for in in the evening when I get her calmed down. She, she's really, really good for therapy. Just just enjoying her company. Absolutely. I, I understand it. Side note that, um, uh, that, uh, Calliope, the, the dog, she, um, was not as therapeutic this morning. Is that correct? No, no. Calliope was not very therapeutic. Um, I had just got home from work. Um, you, you were getting ready for work and, and Calliope was being let out to potty, and she found some cat poopy, and 
bought it necessary to cover herself and said cat poopy. <laughs> Which resulted into I had to give her a bath. So. Which she absolutely loves, right? Oh my gosh. She, yeah, she, she thought it was spa day. So, yeah. Yep. So even though it was kind of a pain to have to do that spur of the moment, thankfully you had time. Um, even just her, I think even just her, um, reaction to the bath. Do you feel like that was somewhat like therapeutic to you in some weird kind of way. You know, it, it really is. Um, our, pets are very much therapeutic. And, and, and I understand why why people have therapy dogs, why, why um, especially when we talk about our veterans that have PTSD and they, they get therapy dogs. There, there's something to be said about that. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that our listeners know about you, about the fire service, about seeking therapy, um, about mental health, anything else that you would like to share? You know, anybody who's, who's currently in the fire service or, or looking to pursue a career in the fire service, I want you to know that you're not alone. And if, if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to anybody, reach out to me. I have been down that road. Um, you can, you can reach out to me through, through your, your website. Absolutely. Is it okay if I provide some contact information for you? Most definitely. Okay. Most so definitely. you'll see that in the show notes. I'll send some, I'll send an email. I'll provide the email for for you you know and if you're considering going into the fire service most definitely you should be made aware of of not that i want to scare anybody away from getting into the fire service but you should be very much aware of, of what lies ahead of you nobody told me when i got into the fire service nobody you know i i, I went in to, to save lives and protect property nobody says oh you're gonna get ptsd Depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, substance abuse. Insomnia. Insomnia. Nobody said that. I didn't see that anywhere in the contract. And I want everybody to know whether you're a current firefighter, paramedic, whether you're retired firefighter, paramedic, whether you're going to pursue a career into it, you're not alone. And I want you to know that some services are very, very proactive in firefighter behavioral health. Some of them are very status quo and, or stagnant. If your service is stagnant, please find services outside of it because your service isn't going to help you. You'll have to help yourself. Very, very sad, but true reality. Mm -hmm. So... But you're right, you know, if it's not available to you, it's not that it's not available outside of your department. It's just maybe not within the department. And it is okay to seek something outside of Sure. Yeah. You know, and a lot of departments will say, well, you know, utilize your EAP. 
you got a young guy that's 21 years old getting into the fire service. That person doesn't even know what an EAP is. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it sounds like even more education within the department on how to use it, what it's like, um, when does when to use it. Mm -hmm. So just more information on that in a way that really promotes people to use that service. That is a free service to them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It, is, it is a free service. Is there anything else you want to share? I don't think so. Okay. Well, Jared, it has truly been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. I know some of the questions may have been challenging to discuss, so your candidness has been much appreciated by myself and, of course, by, I am sure, so many listeners who will be grateful for your openness. My goal is to reduce the stigma and to help people to understand that they do not have to navigate the challenges faced by emergency responders alone. So many people experience much of what you have described today. So thank you so much for sharing your story and information about the fire service in general. It thank is you. greatly, greatly appreciated. If you are experiencing depression, anxiety, PTS, or post-traumatic stress, or PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or self-harming thoughts, please reach out. You do not have to suffer alone. Resources will be listed in the show notes. Please, please be safe out there. You all are greatly, greatly appreciated.